0: That's indeed.com slash blue sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
1: Before we get started with this episode of bench with Bubba, a couple of things to talk to you about first being the quantedge.com. It's a new website that I'm contributing to. I'm still doing the fancy sports DJs. Don't get nervous just yet. But the quantedge.com, great new DFS embedding website, And they have expanded into the world of baseball this year and asked me to help write a batter breakdown four to seven times a week for them. And it's been a blast. An absolute blast. The content is great. The people there are great. Great, great product they're putting out there. And the thing they do the best besides just awesome written content is the tools they make. They have quants building, their lineup optimizer, their weather tools, their umpire tools, their Vegas tools, their value tools, their stat cast tools. They have so many tools and they're still making more. It is an awesome, awesome deal. It's worth every penny. I tell you what. If you want to get the season package for $25 off, use promo code Bubba. It's that simple. $25 off the season package for MLB. gets you all the DFS content. gets you the member Discord that works for $25 off, promo code Bubba. If you just want to try out the QuantEdge, NBA playoffs coming up. Use their NBA product. Use their MLB product for a month. Your first month at thequantedge.com. Use promo code Bubba and you can get it for $19.99. So it's that simple, folks. Get $25 off the season pass or $19.99 for your first month of all sports by using promo code Bubba at TheQuantEdge.com. Another thing I want to talk to you about is Draft.com. I've been promoting drafts for a long time. I've been using Draft. Most of you that listen, try Draft. If you're new to draft, though, try them out. It is a great, great way to play DFS. It's snake-style drafts, just the way you like them in season long, but it's on a daily format. You don't have to worry about salary caps, no ownership issues. Snake-style drafts. They have auction drafts. They have best ball drafts. They just introduced NBA playoff best ball drafts. There's tons of stuff going on over there. there. You have NFL best balls going and if you're new to drafts, use promo code SDSPORTS when you check out. You'll get an entry to a free $3 tournament of your choice. You could get in time for the Masters or next week's golf. It can be a snake style an auction, a best ball. You name it, $3 your choice. Use promo code SDSPORTS when you make your first deposit. Last but not least, it would really mean a lot to me if you give a rating and review over on iTunes. It, it, it helps me out a lot. It means a lot. And it just to take a few seconds to do that for me, it would really, really help me out. With all that being said, welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 161 with Michael Yahara of Fantasy Gospel talking some week two fantasy baseball. to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 161. Got a special one for you on tap tonight. We're going to talk about some recent news, injuries, and more for your fantasy baseball teams. And we're going to talk about some of the red-hot players around baseball. And if we'd like to keep them, sell them, do all that fun stuff that you do in fantasy baseball. In order to do so, I have a member from the Fantasy Gospel, the website, the Fantasy Gospel, and the podcast for the Fantasy Gospel. You can find him on Twitter at M-Y-A-C-H-1 underscore nine one. Michael Yahara, how you doing, man?
2: I'm doing awesome. I'm very happy to be here. I feel very uh, honored. There's a lot of great guys that came before me here as your guests. So thank you so much for having me here.
1: No, I'm I'm glad you could join me. I love having all the quote unquote spectrums of the industry because there's tons of great voices out there that don't have a platform. And I love chatting with them all because it's just in the end. Two dudes talking baseball, so I've uh, started following you before the baseball season. Uh, Matt Bishop, who's been on the show and writes for a bunch of websites, including mine at Fantasy Sports Degens. He uh, told me about you, so I started following you, and you are a very, very bright individual. And I wanted to chat with you about some fantasy baseball tonight, so I'm looking forward to this.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, Matt's an awesome dude, so uh, I love all his content as well.
1: Yeah, good guy. Before we get rolling in all of this, why don't you let everybody know what you got going on at the Fantasy
2: Gospel? Uh, what we're doing right now is we are working on some buy low, sell high guys uh, for the early part of the season. Uh, we expect that to be done by Friday or at the, week, the, the latest this weekend. And then uh, after that, we plan on updating our ranks. We haven't done that in some positions in a few months here. So we'd like to get you guys as much current ranks as possible. And on top of that, those uh, buy low, sell highs. So keep an eye out for that. We'll make announcements on Twitter. And uh, you gave everybody, everybody my Twitter handle, myself. but. If anybody's interested in checking out the Fantasy Gospel Twitter account, it's at fantasy underscore gospel. Beautiful.
1: Everybody go check it out. A lot of great content from the guys over there. Uh, And how often does your podcast come out?
2: Uh, We try to do at least once a week. Uh, Depending on how our schedules line up, we try to do as much as possible. So sometimes we can squeeze in twice. Sometimes it's too busy to do it once. So uh, we had about 45 or so episodes last season. That was our first year podcasting and uh, we had a lot more success than we anticipated so uh, we're really excited to gear up for season two
1: awesome awesome forward to it Uh, let's get into some of this recent baseball news and it's just one injury after another in the world of baseball and I'll kick it off Luis Severino we know got injured in spring training we expected him out for a while but during spring training you had the assumption he might be back by you know maybe early May if all things went well maybe even late April you never know but uh, he was having some issues went back in for an MRI on his shoulder realize he has a latch strain and he won't even throw a baseball for six weeks and then you got to imagine what comes on after that so he's gonna be out for a few months it's pretty dreadful news here how are you approaching Luis Severino in your leagues right now
2: Uh, he's someone that I know a lot of people might be considering buying low uh, but someone I don't really want to take the risk on especially if you're going to trade for him he's not going to play for very long and then You know, when the crunch time comes in and, you know, you're playing for the stretch run or trying to fight for your playoff lives and Severino doesn't even come back, I don't even want to take that risk. So I agreed with uh, what Heath Cummings said. You know, he's not somebody I'm really looking to add to my team. So if anybody is trying to, quote unquote, buy low on him, I'm trying to maximize that return and uh, looking elsewhere, honestly. Yeah, no doubt about it. If I can try to sell him for, you know, like 75
1: cents, 70 cents on the dollar, maybe even now. It'd be something I'd probably be interested in just to kind of get something back for him that's better than what's on the waiver wire because it's not going to be pretty. And, you know, a best-case scenario, you might get him back after the all-star break, and that's assuming best-case scenario. So I'd like to look elsewhere if I could. Uh, another starting pitcher we're going to be out with for a while, and it really sucks because he's been dealing to start the year, was throwing great his last time out, six shutout innings. Mike Levenger, uh, injured back. He's out for at least two months. So similar timetable to Severino but back problems we know how they go with Kershaw and others they're never good right. what are you doing with Clevenger
2: yeah he's another guy I'm not really looking to add to my team either uh, you know especially with the Indians playing so poorly I wouldn't really be surprised to see them as sellers at the deadline and um you know it's kind of a disappointing turn for how their fortunes went with Lindor re-injuring himself and Jose Ramirez's slow start and you know just don't feel like Bauer just got roughed up today so it doesn't really feel like they're playing as well as they could. And who knows how long that'll drag out into the season. Yeah, it really sucks. Cause he was kind of one of the bright spots, Clevenger and, you
1: know, Carrasco still playing well. You said Bauer got beat up today. Kluber's kind of been up and down. It's, it's a weird run for them. And there's already, already those rumors of them wanting to trade one of their starters in the off season. Well, now they right. might really want to do it and just, you know, say screw it. They might end up in your backyard, for instance. Um, one of those starters with a, a team in blue that I'm not a big fan of, but um, Yeah. It could happen, but uh, we shall see. Um, the Gigantes, they made a trade. They got Tyler Austin for the Minnesota Twins for a, uh, a minor leaguer. I mean, it could be kind of a minor move. Is there any interest in Tyler Austin for you?
2: I think in deep leagues, there's definitely some interest, You know, especially those OBP leagues where we're seeing from him so far and, and only four games, 12 plate appearances. So extremely limited, but he's walking 25% of the time. Um, you know, that's kind of very different than what we've seen in career mark about 8%. So if he's walking in the double digits, you know that'll give him some obp value, but uh there's tons of regression in his profile. He's got a 750 babip right now, career 314 babip. So uh he does hit the ball hard, he you know I'll give him that credit, but um you know also he has a 0% line drive rate. Career mark is 22.8, so that's something to consider and you know it's good for sustainability, but we haven't really seen much And I think it's too really early to make him a priority add or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Deep leagues, AL only leagues, he's got some appeal because he doesn't have a a good amount of power. It'd be cheap power. But he's pretty much going to be in a platoon, you'd imagine. Um, When he got over the Giants, there was uh, three straight lefties they faced in San Diego. So he got the starting spot there, which was nice. They had him playing first base. They moved Belt to the outfield. I'd imagine when righties are back on the mound, Belt's going back to first base for Parra or someone's going to the outfield. And that's where I'd see this one coming. So it could be a deep league AO only, or if you're in a certain league and you have some injuries and you see the Giants are playing a slew of lefties that week, or if you're in a daily league and it's you're desperate for power, I could see it, but yeah, it's nothing to run about. He's not gonna help your average a ton. But he could run into like fifteen, twenty homers and it wouldn't shock me just with his with his power.
2: Yeah, exactly. But you make a good point about the platoon role for sure.
1: Like I liked it to – honestly as as a Giants fan, I'd be I'd rather see uh, I, I hate seeing belts in the outfield. So I'm just waiting for him to you know, trip on himself and get hurt. <laughs> but um, I often I, can play the outfield too. He has hadn't played there all spring. So they had him at first this series. I'd imagine they've been working on that every day, put him out there instead of belt, who they've actually paid money to. And I'd rather see Austin almost out there every day. See if he can hit right. East, see if he's more than just a platoon guy. The giants have nothing to lose and they need all the power in the world. So it's almost worth the gamble to me, but we'll see what, what time will tell.
2: Yeah, that's true. But uh, when you're speaking to that platoon role potential or possibility, I should say, he only has a career 208 against righties. So oh, I nice. think that's definitely something that's going to end up happening. Yep. Yep. That would make sense.
1: CC um, Sabathia, he started his rehab uh, for the Yankees. He should be back here. They said as soon as maybe this week and if not sometime next week, depends on how they want to rush things. Uh, we already talked about how so Severino's going down. CC was supposed to probably take uh, Johnny Lasagna's spot. I think that's where it's still leaning. It could be different now. But is there any uh, interest in a guy like CC? Because he, he doesn't light the world on fire, but he's been pretty quality overall, like in in the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, he's definitely pitched better than I expected. Probably the last two years, I'd say. So there is definitely some streaming appeal. I can't say I would never have him on my team, but you know, he's less than a strikeout per nine, and uh, you know, playing in the AL East isn't very good. Uh, although those teams are struggling right now, I expect them to turn it around so uh his his k minus walk rate doesn't set the world on fire each last three years or so it's been below fourteen percent so uh, that's a mark that I look for when when it comes to like starting pitcher sustainability um and anything under twenty percent I don't really have a great feeling about so that's far below twenty percent and I think that on a start by start basis he's someone you could add to your team but uh, I think overall, an entire body of work. He's got a, you know, expecting a sub four ERA is unreasonable.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. CC's probably more of a streamer, a two pitch week, a two start week type guy in the right matchups. Because you got to remember, the AL East is not good to 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 just throw pitchers out against. Uh, he's got the Yankees. He was on the Yankees. We got the Red Sox. The Rays are actually really, really good. Um, the Orioles aren't great, but they have some nice right-handed pop there with Mancini, even the, the large flexing muscles there, surprisingly. Um, it's an interesting division to be pitching in, but you know, when they take those road trips to the west or the central, CC could come into play there and be a, a nice little
2: spot starter for you, for sure. Yeah, and um, if anybody is considering adding CC, I would recommend just pivoting to Gio Gonzalez instead. Uh, he had a really yes. good, strong outing, his last uh, AAA rehab outing, even though he got crushed in that first one. So he's he's behind the clock when it comes to getting ready for spring training and preparation for pitchers building up their arms. So, you know, that first outing doesn't surprise me. And seeing him right the ship this quickly, I think, you know, he's going to make a handful of starts and he'll be very bi- valuable and especially 15-team, 12-team leagues for sure. I like that call a lot. Uh, Gio is one of those guys that uh... –
1: I was kind of surprised. I knew he wanted a good chunk of change, and he finally took the discount with the Yankees, but he was a guy that he, he'd have those rocky starts, and so he'd just go, like, what just happened? What are you doing? But yeah. like By the end of the year, you look at his stat line, you're like, okay, this works in a, a deep roto league. Like, this isn't completely horrible. Uh, exactly. so I'm, I'm with you there. He's got those good starts out there, so that's, that's a good call to Gio, and he could probably swipe up Gio quicker this fab period for cheaper
2: because everyone's going to look at CC why Gio still has another you know minor league start or two down there. Exactly. So sometimes the, the bigger name brand, you know, comes into the to to factor and you take the, the lower name brand and end up making out like a bandit. I like that. That's a very, very good call there. Um let's go to the Los Angeles
1: Dodgers. Hung Jin Ryu left his recent start against the Cardinals. Another groin injury similar to the one he had last year that he missed three months of the season for. This guy just can't stay healthy. Like when he's healthy, his numbers are ridiculous like extremely talented stuff and and you want him out there for your team but he's not going to be there for most of the year now uh it might open up a spot for Luis Urias to hang out or some other options you know we have Rich Hill coming back as well uh Kershaw this weekend what's your thoughts on the Ryu injury and how you'd approach him and then how to kind of look at the Dodgers rotation as a whole
2: I think that if you're in a TG FBI league like you and I are without an uh, IL spot you have to really strongly considering dropping Ryu. Uh, You made a good point about him not making a whole lot of starts. And last year he only pitched 82 and a third innings. So uh, as good and as elite as he is, honestly, when he is healthy, he just can't seem to pitch, you know, 130, 140 innings. That's just something he can't do. So with the Dodgers manipulation of the injured list and that, you know, last year we saw with the 10 day DL uh, expect him to stay under 130 again this year. So I guess really quickly I don't mind if you don't mind answering uh would you drop him in a a league without an IL spot Oh yeah I had to drop Dallas Keuchel last week so
1: with 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 all the injuries that are out there right now it's so hard to just hang on to baggage that's not coming back anytime soon What about I can, if you What, I you, what about drop, if
2: you have a lead in the like the top of the leaderboard
1: If the only way I would drop him is if you need to fill a spot if if you're if your roster's good and you're winning your league and you're fine then I'd leave it alone but if If you need to fill that spot because of other injuries or just whatever else took place, then I would seriously be okay with dropping them.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Definitely.
1: Um, How are you approaching the likes of Rich Hill, uh, Kershaw, and maybe Urias hanging out
2: in the rotation? Uh, Urias is the one that excites me the most, you know, by pitcher's not named Walker Bueller from that group. Uh, I think Clayton Kershaw kind of fell so hard that there was a point where he was, you know, probably going to return the investment you know, later on in drafts that owners are making. So there's some value for him there, but I still don't see him giving us, you know, hundred and fifty innings this year. So even though he is close, you know, he's somebody that back is just something I don't trust. Uh with uh with uh Julio Urias though, even though he will bounce back and forth between the rotation, you know, when he's bouncing back to the bullpen, uh I think that he's gonna give you really strong ratios. I think even potentially elite ratios. And even though he might not give you 130 innings, he can give you 110 with at least 130, 140 strikeouts. So I think that uh, they're going to have similar, you know, innings pitch totals, but Urias probably stands a chance to have the the safest floor, in my opinion there. Yeah, I like
1: Urias quite a bit. And I uh, can't remember who I told it to or when I said it, but I could see Urias being this year's Walker Bueller for the Dodgers, where they bring him on early and they try to play with his innings. He misses a start here or there. Maybe he goes to the bullpen for a bit. And they have him for the stretch run in the playoffs, and he still has a pretty good impact with the squad. So that wouldn't surprise me at all if he uh, has a big year. And now the it's, the good thing is, is people were thinking about having to drop him or maybe hold on to him if they had, if they had a roster spot. Now he's pretty much going to be back in the rotation for a little while. So that's pretty yeah, nice exactly. With your eyes, uh, let's go to the Chicago Cubs. Johnny Lester left his start in the third inning yesterday after he hurt himself running the bases, hurt his hamstring. Running the bases, we can do the whole DH talk, but I think has been done enough. Um, John Lester, we don't know the severity of it. He was kind of pissed when he got taken out, so hopefully it's not too bad.
2: But um, what are you doing for the time being without Lester? Uh, I'm trying to sell him uh, right before he gets back. There's just all all in his profile is riddled with regressions. So from his BABIP to his ERA peripherals, there's not much to be excited by. Um, You know, he's got 100% strand rate, so that doesn't look good. He's given up a lot of home runs and only 14 innings. I think, what, like three home runs and 14 innings. So uh, I think he's going to be a good innings eater. He's probably like a better starting pitcher of four than, you know, what people would hope for starting pitcher two or three. But um, I think maybe when he gets back, if he has really good rehab numbers, then I think that he's somebody I'd try to unload because, you know, I don't really expect him to be – as valuable this year as he was last year, which last year he did surprise me, by the way.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not on the Lester train. I don't want much to do with John Lester. Only league I have him in is in the league. dynasty league I inherited, and that was my <laughs> choice. And There's really no way to replace him in a dynasty league, so I'm yeah. kind of stuck with him. But, uh, yeah, I, I want nothing to do with him. Let's go to the Houston Astros. Brad Peacock, been very good last year out of the bullpen. He was really good to start this season. Now he – um he, he uh, will go to the bullpen for a couple starts as they're not going to need a five-man rotation. He should be back on the rotation like at the end of the month. But at the same time, you never know. It is the the Astros. They have a slew of options. Are you hanging on to Brad Peacock hoping he comes back in the rotation? Or are you looking elsewhere?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely uh, maybe going to jump on this opportunity if somebody does drop him because in the last 24 hours or so, he's been dropped in roughly 10% of Yahoo Leagues. Uh, it's an unfortunate break for his starting pitcher eligibility, so he's just going to re- stay as a relief pitcher. But you know he's someone who could later on in the year get that SPARP eligibility, starting pitcher, relief pitcher eligibility. That is uh, until he does get called back to that rotation. He won't be pitching in back-to-back days. Uh, and you mentioned the later April, so April twenty-third. That's the next time the Astros need a fifth starter. Uh, the AJ Hinch will make a decision during the April 19th through 21st Rangers series as to whether Peacock will start. So I think I would jump on him, especially because if he's going to give you the, you know, limited number of innings, they will be a lead at least. Last year as a full-time reliever, nearly 28% strikeout minus walk rate, uh, 35 plus percent strikeout rate. So um, those numbers are supported and uh, sustainable, I think. And Whatever role he's in, I think maybe even starting out the way he did, you know, that presented a really nice buy-low opportunity. This might just make a lot of owners cut bait, so I'd be jumping on board if I can.
1: Yeah, I like that call. Definitely could, especially in deeper leagues, even if they don't start all the time. The kind of innings, ratios, and everything he gives you out of that bullpen is tremendous on certain weeks where you don't want to start certain guys but you have to fill a roster spot. Well, like you said, it could be a spark and uh, really help you out there, so – I like some Brad Peacock. I'd try to keep him on my roster if I had the chance. Um, just a quick note, we don't have to talk about it, but last night Mike Trout and Alex Bregman left their games with injuries. Trout's got the night off. I believe Bregman does as well, but I could be mistaken. But uh, just something to keep an eye on. It doesn't look too severe, but uh, just something to keep an eye on with all the injuries we've been seeing. The last thing I wanted to ask you about here was Richard Lovelady is getting the call-up from the Kansas City Royals, from the Miners. Uh, they purchased his contract yesterday. What do you got on Richard Lovelady?
2: Uh, he is a lefty, 23 years old, throws some heat. Uh, I really like him because he demonstrated some pretty good control in the minors, uh, very minimal homers. Uh, he actually had zero homer per nine rates, you know, in rookie ball, high A, triple A. So uh, sub point five homer per nine marks in double A and, you know, his first go around with triple A in 2018. So. Uh, To me, there's an extremely high floor. Uh, I think that, honestly, with how jumbled that bullpen is in Kansas City, uh, while I have been on record as saying Ian Kennedy is probably my favorite to uh, get the saves in the short term for that team, I think that Richard Lovelady, I think in the long term, for the rest of the 2019, is somebody you can look at. Maybe as a dark horse uh, to get some saves in that bullpen and maybe run away with that job. So you like him to come in and and in that
1: mess of a bullpen to make it happen. It's very, very intriguing. Um, say in a league like TGFBI, I know you might be giving away secrets here, but trust me, no one listens to (laughs) the podcast. Um, like what, what area, we'll give a rough area. What would be your kind of fab bid area for Richard Lovelady?
2: Uh, that's tough. Um, say you really needed saves. Yeah. Right. Well, to be like, to be honest, to give you a little context with myself as a owner, I've only spent maybe like thirty dollars on my Fab bid so far this year, and I've I've gotten maybe four or five different players. So most of my bids are, you know, Max Freed was only thirty dollars for me, and I remember you said you were the low man on the the Freed bid in your leagues there. Um, yeah. So I feel like I made out completely like I stole him basically for nothing for thirty bucks. So I got Gio Gonzalez for fifteen about a week and a half ago, or whenever the uh, the processing went through, and ever since then I've only gotten you know $0 players so it's worked out pretty well but you know with love lady just speaking real quickly in his first appearance in the majors no one chased the ball outside of the zone but he still had a 15.4% swinging strike rate so uh this guy has so much strikeout upside and I think he profiles really well as a closer or late inning guy so he's someone I maybe would throw in $50 for uh maybe honestly 75 at the most if I really really needed saves
1: yeah, that's what I'm wondering, because right now uh, I listen to podcasts pretty much all day as I work out of my truck. I haven't heard him talked about once. So okay. I'm liking that. That's a good thing, because I think he will get picked up this week. And if the chatter, you know, like if, if they don't go full Clint Fraser on a Sunday, of fab day, he's going right. to stay cheap. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I, I'm intrigued by this. I like the I like how you mentioned him and you want to chat about him. Because that, that Royals bullpen is a mess. We've already seen Ned Yost talk like, oh, he's going to have Willie Peralta, he's going to have Boxberger, he's going to have even Ian freaking Kennedy saving games back there. If this kid can come in and do do what he does with that strikeout upside, that could be tremendous. So I like that call a lot. We'll have to, to, to connect on that one later and see how that turns out come fact that time. That could be really, really interesting. All right, let's do some buy, sell, holds, you know, that that little gimmick. Of the world, But more, most importantly, we're going to talk about some guys that are off, off to really, really hot starts and kind of do we believe in it? What do we expect going forward? Are you trying to get rid of them? All that kind of chatter. And we're going to start with the guy that I am 100% wrong on. I know it's only been 56 plate appearances, but Cody Bellinger is hitting 440 with seven home runs, 19 RBIs, 18 runs scored. Even as a stolen base, he is crushing baseballs. A just 588 WOBA. It's it's a 520 ISO for crying out loud. He's hitting everything. Obviously, you can't be this good all year, but do you believe we're back to seeing more of that Cody
2: Bellinger from the rookie season, or is he going to maybe regress quite a bit? Is he getting lucky, one would say? Uh, Yeah, actually, we just talked about Cody Bellinger in the last Fantasy Gospel podcast, and Carl was the high man on the the Bellinger totem pole for us, so uh, he probably saw this coming more than anybody, but... What we're seeing from Bellinger, I think, and uh, I elaborated to that this point, and I just think that this is the season that Bellinger reaches the 40 home run plateau. I think that uh, we're seeing year-by-year year improvements from him um, since he came into the league. Uh, this year, the most obvious improvement to me is the 10.7% strikeout rate, whereas before it's about 24.5%, 25%. Uh, So he's dramatically improved that. The walk rate is about what it's been for his career up until this point. So that's pretty normal, but uh, he's not chasing the ball. So that's what makes me think that this breakout is real. He's not chasing uh, more than 16% of the time, whereas before this year, it was always above a 27% chase rate. He's also making contact, you know, above 80% of the time, whereas before this year is below 79%. His outside contact is insane. So there's some regression in his profile. Like you said, it won't stay this way. But with a 7% swinging strike rate, that's you know better than a 12.5% career swinging strike rate mark. There's so much improvement here. He's already been a 40-plus percent hard contact hitter. The homer to fly ball rate above 20% for the career. So... You know, I really would not be surprised to see a 40 homer, 120 RBI, uh, almost like a JD Martinez type season with the ability to seal some bags. Yeah. If that happens then uh, people got a massive draft day value on that one, because
1: he was going much later than like, you know, two years ago, everyone wanted him early and often this last year he is more, it felt like a third round pick or so. So that'd be a, a nice, nice value. Uh, if that is the case. And I'll be a hundred percent wrong on that one. Um,
2: if, if I can manager, sure, just, if I can yeah. chime in real quick here, uh, there's a lot of yeah. people that may be wondering whether it's sustainable, and um, I believe that it is because what what he's done so far, he's seen the the most amount of pitches in the strike zone so far this year, of his entire three year career. So even though it's not much of a huge sample size, uh, it's not like pitchers are pitching him out of the zone, so that's why he's, you know, not striking out or anything like that. He's seeing the most pitches in the zone, and he's just crushing it. So you know, along with elite stack cast metrics, you know, a 16% barrel rate, 95 plus percent exit velocity. You know, it's all supported by X stats, which I'm sure, you know, expected stats, um, you know, on baseball savant, that's all supported What's he, what he's doing. And uh, definitely we'll say it again that the breakout is upon us.
1: Yeah, I like that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, like you say he's seen the most pitches in the zone. He's seen it in a long time. I wonder if they'll go, because we saw his kind of, Swinging strike skills were kind of an issue at times last year, so I wonder if pitchers will start saying, "Okay, I'm either going to walk him or see what he can chase." So see see how that goes. It'll be interesting to see how the adjustments are made in the game of chess called baseball. Yeah, um, those are the adjustments. You're right. Um, Okay, Clint Frazier, the Yankees have no choice but to finally play him. We've been waiting for it for a few years now. They won't trade him. They won't play him. But now they have to. With Aaron Hicks still not even really doing baseball activities, Giancarlo Stanton goes to the DL. They're limited in the outfield, and uh, Frazier's taking the bull by the horns, as they say. Hitting three sixty in his first twenty-seven plate appearances, three home runs, even both over the weekend, uh, playing really, really well. Still a twenty-two percent K rate, but not horrible for a, a young ball player. Uh, first off, do you think he's going to keep his job, or are we concerned it's going to be gone once you know said players return? And B, what do you expect from Clint Frazier?
2: Yeah, I definitely have playing time concerns when everyone's healthy. That's, you know, it's easy for him to be the odd man out. I feel like because they just love Brett Gardner and, you know, obviously Judge is not going anywhere. Stan Hicks, you know, he's a big part of their future with him signing that extension. So I feel like you got to follow the money in some cases. So Frazier will get squeezed out. Uh, So honestly, I feel like he's a sell high. It also doesn't help in my opinion that he's hitting, you know, in the bottom half of the lineup, he's hitting seventh, you know, despite how well he's playing. So. It'd be hard for him to score a lot of runs, so if he's not really driving in runs, there's not going to be a whole ton of value there. Um, he also has a 33.3% homer to fly ball rate, which is obviously going to regress, but you know, speaking to his credit, he is barreling balls up real well, uh, 15% barrel rate. The league average is about 6.1%, so his 720 slug is supported by a 602 expected slug. That expected slug mark is based on you know what he's done this year so far with balls in play uh, based on his exit velocity and his launch angle. So that's why I kind of like that expected stat. If he is getting regular bats, I'm very interested. But uh, honestly, I'm not going to overpay for him. And I think that there's definitely a lot of hype around him, especially being a, a hyped prospect that you can sell high. So uh, he's someone that I would prefer to sell high than, you know, ride or, uh, you know, try to really p- invest a whole lot of faith in. Yeah,
1: no doubt about it. That's the interesting part with him is he went super pricey in certain uh, TGFBI leagues this last go-round, and especially uh, also in uh, the NFBC, like the main events and stuff, from the, the yeah. numbers I heard there. He was a popular pick, and I get it. Like, you know, if Aaron Hicks isn't returning to activities yet, then there's going to be a spot for him for a little while. You have to wonder Giancarlo, but they really don't want Giancarlo playing defense if they don't have to. It, it Really what it comes down to is the loyalty and the love they have for Brett Gardner can they put that to the side and realize that Clint Frazier is actually a pretty talented ball player? That's going to be the make or break point because the fact that Hicks isn't even playing baseball, he's out for a little while still. It seems like that's that's not a concern as much, unfortunately, as it should be. I think the big question is going to be what do they do when Giancarlo comes back and and that's going to be the make or break point because if he plays, then Frazier is pretty interesting. But it's a matter of if he plays. The flip side is they might literally try to flip him now that they sh- they've been able to showcase him for a little bit. So it will be it'll be quite interesting to see how this kid is. But uh, I, l- I love the Statcast. I-, I use that data all the time. The X stats. That's something I live off of. I know they just released the first kind of numbers. Now they think there's a big enough sample size, and there's a lot of fun you can do there. You, you can geek out on the Statcast page for quite some time and um, find some hidden nuggets like that. And like when you mentioned. You know what he's doing isn't far from the expected numbers. Well, that's that's obviously a good sign.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, real quick, he went for two forty seven in my TGFBI league. Hoot! Uh, that's a big, uh, big, big price tag there. I can't remember. I didn't pull it up for my league, but
1: uh, I know it wasn't cheap. Or actually, it was cheap. Uh, Weatherwax Wax. Had- call in call in all right i was gonna say something really rude but i like Colin, so i stopped <laughs> but uh he got him for like 43 or 44 bucks he got him cheap wow yeah i i was pissed because i thought i put in like a bid for like 40 40 or something just kind of a keep him honest bid mm-hmm. thinking he'd go for a bunch of money and i wasn't gonna pay for him and then i went and got steven duggar for like 46 dollars i'm like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> yeah like, right? but but the, my my solace in my head and it's not even a homer thing is duggar's gonna lead off for the entire season unless yes. he's hurt. Phraser no, he's disappear.
2: <laughs> he's a great name drop, and actually, you know, that's a kind of one of the the deep cuts that we like at the fantasy gospel. We like those guys, you know, who are not popping up on a whole lot of transaction trends leaderboards, but you know, they could be sneaky productive. And I think Duggar's a really good name.
1: Yeah, like he went for like tw- the, the backup there was like twenty four or something, so I, I overpaid a bit. But for me, a like bit. I said, he's gonna, he's going to play every day, pretty much. Mm-hmm. He's even playing against lefties right now. He's going to steal some bags. He's got a little pop. I thought he should have been the starting opening day out for their, for their last season. So there's a lot I like there about Steven Duggar. People that listen to the show have heard me wax poetically about him enough. Um, but I, I like the upside there. And that's kind of my thoughts. You mentioned how you've only spent like 30 bucks or whatever on the season and fab. Like I, I don't mind spending money if I'm going to use a player – like if it's a player i'm going to use a lot not just kind of a fill-in thing yeah so that's how i can justify it a little more in my brain and makes me sleep a little better but i could be totally wrong that's the beauty of fantasy baseball
2: no you're probably right because i'm you know i'm taking more of like uh speculative ads and you know wait and see guys because i have the room on my bench so it works if we can just circle back real quick to aaron hicks what do you what's your level of concern for his back dude i hate it because as a
1: guy that myself that's deals with a bad back and the, the latest issue has been so much fun, but people don't need a Web MD about my back. Um, you've seen it with Kershaw. You've seen it with ballplayers. It can come up at the weirdest times, and you get reaggravated. It can be yeah. the simplest, stupidest thing. He can be on the road sleeping on the wrong bed. As simple as that. Like, I really don't like it. And I hope they don't rush him back. I take as much time as possible because if he re it, it's usually worse than the time before. So it's a scary situation for a guy that, you want roaming center field, so he's got to cover a lot of ground. Uh, he's going to be playing hard, diving, all that kind of stuff. He 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 can steal some bags. He's got some pop. It's not good, and I guess that goes back to Clint Frazier too. If he keeps playing well, they don't need to rush him back because exactly. as bad as the Red Sox are playing, yes, the Rays are playing great, and I, I hope I would I'd be over the moon if the the Rays won the AL East. But we got to be realistic here. At the same time, the Yankees are going to be in the running towards the end. So if they can take their time with Hicks, that's going to be tremendous.
2: Yeah, so I think, uh, honestly, if you're confident in his back, then you would not really look to go for Frazier. But if you have doubts about Hicks's back, I think Clint Frazier is a really nice player you could target and maybe before his value explodes. Yep, no doubt about it.
1: Talking about a value exploding, his name is Dan Vogelbach, and it is jumping off the page. He's crushing baseballs at will, and um, he's been on this recent tear of, I believe it was like three or four home runs in the last five games. He's doing everything you dream of, but it's a crowded, crowded Mar- Mariner's team, a Mariner's team that's raking. Uh, what's your take on Vogelbach? Because another guy that was is heavily added this past week, and he's earned the right to be heavily added, but is he worth the right to be heavily added?
2: Yeah, I know uh, on this podcast he's been referred to as, uh, what is a quadruple A player? Yes, somebody, yes. Who, <laughs> Right? That's That's been mentioned on this show before, <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I get it, uh, but actually, you know, Honestly, to me, I had two shares of him out of my five teams this year because I feel like if he does get those regular at-bats, he can really shine, and so far he has. He's a stack-cast freak, you know, 26.7% barrel rate, 99-plus mile an hour exit velocity. That's pretty elite for both of those marks. So I feel like it really depends. He's more of like a luxury hold, in my opinion. Uh, Somebody, if he's available, you know, maybe – you know, you, if you have an empty roster spot or somebody you cycle in and out, somebody you can add, because I feel like, you know, he's somebody maybe like a Jesus Aguilar who could just wrestle away some at bats and, you know, re- earn a regular role. It's also interesting that they talked about moving Edwin Uh, you know, as soon as they required him, they talked about flipping him to another team. And, you know, I still wonder if they actually will do that or not. So I guess that kind of depends on, on how the team plays, because I think they're surprising everybody by their start. but. You know, wondering whether Vogelbeck's statcast cast metrics are sustainable last year. He had a career high at the time, 11.5% barrel rate and 92.4 mile per hour exit velocity. And why I like last year's sample size is because that's when he saw the most pitches. So that's the largest uh, sample size we have to work with. And, you know, the league average barrel rate I mentioned was barely over 6%. Last year was nearly double that for Vogelbeck, 11.5%. So I really like a lot of those metrics. You know, he's not going to be getting any steals, but you can do a lot worse utility players, you know, like he's, he might be a somebody very sneaky and I didn't put in a bid. He went for $10 in my TGFBI league. So I'm still kicking myself over that.
1: Yeah. He went pretty cheap when people grabbed them on most leagues, not all leagues, but there was definitely value to be had there with the Vogelbach. Um, I think, I think it was always a concern with him is if he'd ever get the playing time and, uh, with the little small, small samples he had, he never really got it done. But he's getting it done now. Like you said, it's crowded there. Like Bruce could be on the move. Edwin can be on the move. They're all – it's to DePoto. They're all available. Anybody's got a price on that roster outside of maybe Mitch Hanniger. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But this guy's got an insane power. Uh, if you look at his StatCast page, it's absolutely the perfect, you know, very top right corner where they do the, the reds and the blue bars. He jumps off the page with every hit metric, and then his sprint speed's very, very poor. So that is Dan Vogelbach to a T. It's just – it's beautiful. He's a special, special specimen. And, um, yeah, I I look forward to hopefully seeing him get a full run, hopefully not just a platoon run, but we might see that for the time being with as crowded as a team as it is.
2: You know, he's kind of maybe like this year's Luke Boyd, honestly, because he's got a a sub-40% ground ball rate, 24% homeward fly ball career mark. So I could definitely see him uh, becoming that this year. No, that's a great call. there a good comparison as
1: well. Uh, let's stick with the Mariners, as I said earlier, they are red, red hot. You got Domingo Santana. He was a hype train when he got dealt over there. You know, just a couple of years removed from a thirty home run, fifteen steal season in Milwaukee. And he's kicked it off with a bang. He started it in Japan. He's carried it over to the U.S. Hitting three forty five with four home runs on the season. He's already driven in nineteen and scored eleven plus three stolen bases. The big man's doing it all over the diamond. Are we expecting uh, Domingo to keep? To keep uh, banging it out there for the Mariners,
2: Domingo Santana is someone that I uh, believe is you know breaking out in front of us. So he's someone that you want to hold on to, or if someone is trying to sell high, quote unquote, take advantage of that offer or that ability. Uh, what I like about him is his launch angle increased uh, from twenty or ten and a half degrees in two thousand seventeen. Last year, eleven and a half degrees. This year, fifteen and a half. So. He's making a conscious effort to lift the ball. Uh, that's also supported by his fly ball rate, which is above 30% for the first time in his career. This year's at 32.5% entering Wednesday, April 10th. Career-wise, he's below 28% for fly balls, so nearly a 5% improvement there. You know, you might knock on his homer to fly ball rate, 30.8% homer to fly ball rate. But for his career, it's actually just under 27% at 266 So. You know, you combine that with so far what he's done is stop chasing the balls. Career chase rate twenty six percent this year, below twenty one percent. He's also his career best outside zone and contact rates, in addition to swinging strike rates. It's uh, swinging strike rate is single digits for the first time in his career this year. So I really feel like we're seeing a real change and improvement in his plate discipline. Uh, he's trying to lift the ball. And he's someone I think that will fight the regression, and he's going to maintain what he's doing outside of maybe dou- double double-digit stolen bases.
1: Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of Domingo, and they they made that trade. I was very excited about this. Nicknamed him Mini Nelson Cruz as he kind of took his spot over there, not DHing of course, but kind of filled in that kind of bigger Latin man that could from the right side of the plate that can to snot out of a baseball. So uh, I'm a big fan of Domingo there. I hope he just continues to rake. And the fact he does throw in some steals is, is quite the uh, upside in that value there. So really like that. Uh, let's flip over to a teammate of his. We've kind of already mentioned we've got a few more manners to talk about as they're so red hot here. But uh Jay Bruce, older guy, we already mentioned he could be a trade candidate with E five, you never know. He's only hitting a buck eighty eight, but that's not the whole story. He's got seven home runs. He has a six forty six slug, a three sixty eight Woba, and a four fifty eight ISO. He when he hits the ball, he hits it very, very hard. He's like Pedro Serrano. Um, so what are you doing with a guy like Jay Bruce? Because he's, he's killing your average, he, and he has a 273 OBP, so that's not even great. But everything else he does is amazing,
2: yeah. And actually, uh, I feel like there's so much regression, I you know, it's just as simple as his babbit right now, it's 0.080, which so you didn't even think would be possible, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But I mean maybe for as slow as he is, that is maybe in the it's realm true. of possibility. But you know, career wise he's that's two hundred points below his two eighty one career mark. So that combined with a thirty plus percent strikeout rate, career wise he's under twenty four percent. There's a ton of positive regression. So I I actually think, you know, as recent as recently as twenty seventeen he was pretty serviceable. He had a five oh eight slug, three twenty four on base, two fifty average. That doesn't hurt you in nowadays, you know, fantasy baseball landscape. So I think that there's positive regression in store for Dre Bruce. And I think that he's somebody who's going to be, uh, you know, extremely uh, outplaying his ADP.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. I've always been a Jay Bruce fan just because where you get him in drafts and, you know, usually you get like a 240 average or so out of him, maybe a little better. But the power is always legit. He does, he just, like I said, you get him so late in drafts, Mm -hmm. he just adds so much to your roster. Now, you know, the, the buck 88 stinks, like you said, you know, that, that bad at .080 is pretty ridiculous. I like Jay Bruce a lot. I, I think he's a good guy to pick up. He's going to continue to hit in the middle of that order until he either gets hurt or gets traded. So you don't have to worry about the playing time for the most part with him. So it's it's a very interesting uh, take there with, with, with Bruce. And uh, he's probably available on a lot of wires unless he just got picked up this last week. So keep an eye on that as well. Um, the last Mariner, I believe we're going to talk about today, at least on the offensive side of things is Tim Beckham, who's off to a, a scorching hot start. He, he missed the last few games. they getting hurt, uh, on the last road series, but he was back in the lineup on Wednesday night. He's hitting 400 on the season with a 825 slug, a 536 Woba and a 429 Babbitt. We know he went home run crazy in Japan, but he's carried that back into the U S And only a 17% K rate, which is probably one of the more shocking things uh, on his ledger for me. What's your thoughts on Tim Beckham? Because he was once a heralded prospect. He's kind of been around the diamond. We've seen him play well once or twice, but not consistently. Is he finally getting his chance to break out?
2: Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, what we're seeing is some really nice improvements from him. Before this season, he's always been above, you know, about 24% strikeout rates, you know, as high as 30%. Uh, various seasons career marks 28 so this year it's at 17 percent, and uh on the flip side his walk rate is more than doubled what his career mark is it's about 15 percent this year career-wise 6.6 percent what i really like about uh tim beckham also you mentioned that pedigree i think that's kind of easily forgotten especially maybe by the uh, more recent fantasy baseball manager but he doesn't chase like he used to like domingo santana uh Tim Beckham used to have swing rates above thirty percent this year it's below twenty five percent uh we're also seeing contact rates at you know nearly career high marks uh twenty thirteen was his career best contact rate, but that was an extremely small sample size so if you take that out in the last three years, his contact rates have been steadily improving this year career best seventy eight percent um so you've coupled that with a career best swing strike rate. I really see. Uh, changed, you know, approach from this hitter, from Tim Beckham. He's lifting the ball more. He's got a sub 40% ground ball rate for his career. It's about 48%. So if he's hitting the ball less on the ground, hitting the ball near more strong, 25% line drive rate, I think that hints had a lot of sustainability and only a 16% soft contact rate. I think that, uh, he's someone, if an owner in your league is trying to sell high, I would definitely try to take him up on that.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I think, uh, The kid's super talented. He was one of my favorite uh, late-round sleeper shortstops, almost not even drafted shortstops in many leagues, Uh, just for the fact that his pedigree is there. When you take gambles late in a draft, a lot of those guys don't have a pedigree. They just had a hot streak to end the season. Beckham's got the pedigree, and we're finally seeing it. Like I said, he was out for a while with the hamstring. He slots right back in at number six in the lineup. They didn't even think twice about that. So I'm pretty intrigued with what we uh, are seeing there with Beckham. And as long as that offense stays hot around him, he's going to keep getting chances to rake, so I'm a big fan there. Um, let's talk Yohan Moncada. I know this is the guy you're a big fan of coming into the year. He's off to a great start. And again, similar to Beckham, but even better pedigree when it comes to top prospects. Hitting .319 to start the year, 617 slug, or eight, .408 Woba. And he's got three Jimmy Jacks. But the thing that stands out to me the most is he's got a 26% K rate after today's game which is insane for as bad as he is at swinging and missing at the baseball. I'll let you have the floor. As I know this is one of your guys. What's your thoughts on Yohan Moncada the rest of the way?
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that strikeout rate because that's exactly where I was going to start with. And uh, that's a significant improvement for his career above 33%. So, you know, I really like that. And the walk rate isn't amazing, but he has really good bad 379. It's not... You know, I don't see a whole lot of aggression because his career mark for BABIP is 345. So he's a very fast player. Uh, Also mentioned, uh, or I think Matt Bishop was someone who mentioned his age. He was only 23 years old. So
0: even though it feels
2: like, right, it it feels like he's been around for a few years now. He's still extremely young. And uh, that's part of the thing I take into account is how old is a player when it comes to them changing their profiles. You know, if he's striking out, above 30 percent time and now we're seeing about a 10 percent improvement is that something you know that you can't teach an old dog new tricks but is not an old dog I, by any means he's very young very fast so I love the power speed 40 percent hard contact rate this year only a 34 percent ground ball rate that's extremely conducive to long-term success uh he's getting really good homer to fly ball rate so there is a little bit of regression i see in that homer to fly ball rate of 20 percent but I could also see him setting some career highs, and uh, you know, I think a lot of it goes to his contact rate improvements, his career best marks, and his plate discipline metrics. So, I'm very encouraged by Yohan Makata.
1: Yeah, there, there's a lot to like there because that was always the biggest thing: is the the swing and the swing and strike, the the chase rates, just the overall strikeouts were tremendous with him. If he can really hone that in, which he's done to start the season, long ways to go mm-hmm. but from what he's done to start the season. This could be tremendous because even last year as a guy that does DFS stuff and you'd see the guy, especially when he's on his hot streaks, he would hit the ball so hard and there was on screws and just so many things to like there with Johan Moncada. So, um, if he, if he can cut out those strikeouts, that's a big, big thing there with him. So very intrigued by that. Um, let's go to Baltimore, Jonathan VR who a few years removed from a big, big season with the brew crew. He's now with, um, Baltimore got traded there last year and he started to flourish again in Baltimore starting off the year hitting 320, three homers already two stolen bases um, only 2% walk rate, which is not ideal, but he's playing really, really well. What are your thoughts on Jonathan VR going forward?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely see a little bit of regression in his profile. So he's someone I'm not super high on, but I will say that I think that, you know, the, he'll be able to convert on a lot of those RBI opportunities because Uh, This year he has the best barrel rate of his career. He has an exit velocity above 90% for the first time in his career. So there's a lot of good things, but I just feel like he's limited as a player. He's one of those players who you kind of know what you're going to get. So uh, maybe hitting third won't get him as many stolen bases as we would like. But compared to now Alberto Mondesi, I like VR more because he gets on base at a higher rate. So, you know, you're going to create more action. I feel that way, but. There's a lot of regression in his profile, so you know I'm not rushing out to to trade for him or anything like that.
1: Um, we just talked about Tim Beckham, and I know that they went to completely different spots in drafts. But what you've seen with Beckham to start the year, do you do you still think kind of how the draft dictated that VR is a better play the rest of the way, or do you think Beckham's going to be similar or better than VR the rest of the season?
2: Uh, I think VR is definitely a better bet for stolen base production, but. You know, when it comes to the power production, I, I'd be willing to bet more on on uh, Tim Beckham. Uh, that's also because VR, I feel like they, he's made some improvements, but there's a ton of regression. I mean, when you look at his contact rates this year compared to other years, he's above 84%, whereas before he's never been above 73%. So, you know, I feel like there's definitely some volatility, but uh, with Beckham, I'm just seeing better improvements, and I, I feel like he has the more pedigree. So. Uh, if you're looking for stolen base production, I think that VR is definitely the better option. But uh, if you have a fair amount of stolen base upside as a as a team, then I think Beckham offers more upside. I like that. I like that call a lot.
1: Uh, let's go to Jason Hayward. This was a name when I was putting this together. Uh made me want to kind of puke in the back of my yeah. throat. But Your boy. Um, this is not good because he's not good. But he decided to be good to start the year so far on a streak here at 323 three home runs, eight RBIs, two stolen bases. He's only striking out 10.5% of the time, which is bananas to me, even though he's cut back on that in recent years. What's your thoughts on Jason Hayward? Is this just a hot streak, or are we actually back to a renaissance
2: season? Uh, It's interesting because a lot of his plate discipline metrics look very similar to his career marks. So, you know, maybe it's possible that taking Chili Davis out of the Chicago Cubs equation was a benefit to him. So... I know. Uh, I remember hearing several times about Chili Davis reworking his swing and adding all these adjustments or taking something away. So that never seemed to really work. But you know, I feel like you know, in a deep league, you could do a lot worse. But honestly, right now, I would just keep him on my watch list and pay some close attention because his his batting order spot isn't very premium. So I feel like uh, when regression hits, which I'm sure it will, um, you know, it's not going to be very favorable and. He only has a 7% line drive rate, which will improve, but you know, it's gonna fall take away from his 50% fly ball rate. He has a 21.4% homer to fly ball rate, career mark under eleven percent Homer to fly. So there's a lot of regression in his profile too, but um, you know, some good signs. I'm just not really jumping yet at this opportunity.
1: Yeah, for me, all that Jason Hayward is, and he went in a lot of fab markets last week, is he's a guy that if you're injury ridden if you just need to fill it out, fill the spot, you run with him. Hopefully your guy's not going to be gone for a long – hopefully he's not Aaron Hicks and he's gone for a long time. Hopefully it's just a short 10-day deal, DL deal because like uh, David Dahl was interviewed uh, earlier today that he thought he could have been back in a couple of days and, and the team thought that as well. They just put him on the DL for precaution and he should be back really soon. If it's something like that, okay, you can play Hayward for a week two at the most. I'm just not buying into it for the season. Could be totally wrong, but uh, this is a kind of – Sketchy deal for me. What about, uh, about maybe, maybe? Yeah,
2: can we compare him real quick to Jay Bruce and uh, uh, I'm thinking of another outfielder. Uh, I'm so sorry, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Delino De Shields. I feel like he's very available in a lot of leagues. I think he's under five percent owned in Yahoo League. So uh, between Bruce, Delino De Shields, and Jason Hayward, how would you rank those three? I'd
1: have Jay Bruce number one for me, pretty easy. Oh mm-hmm. um, well, yeah, because I love his power. And you know, like I say, two forty-ish or so, so he's not going to destroy you. I like the Shield second actually because he's going to get playing time at the top of the order, and his steals upside I like a lot. Then I got Hayward. I just don't believe in Hayward. I think that's the bottom line of it. Um, I could be totally wrong, but I think it's a. It's like if you, if you're good on steals, it's Bruce easy. If you're not good on steals, I think it's still Bruce for me, and you try to find steals elsewhere. But if Mm -hmm. you really need steals, the land of the shield is a good guy to go pick up on the wire.
2: No, I agree. And I was just trying to give a little context because my rankings would be the exact same as yours. So I don't think either of us are really jumping at Jason Hayward. But in super, super deep leagues, maybe NL only, you're dealing with some injuries, something like that. There might be a short-term reason to add him. Yeah, no doubt about it.
1: Uh, Let's go to Colton Wong. He had a nice hot stretch there. He's still hitting it pretty well. Hitting 361 on the air with three homers. To start things out, um, surprised to many. Again, we've, it's kind of a trend with some of these guys. He had a kind of a prospect pedigree at one time. He wasn't like a top, top prospect like Yohan Moncada, but he was up there in the, in the Cardinals system, and he just never really got it to work, and, and now it's clicking. Um, is Colton Long a guy that you're buying into the rest of the way?
2: Uh, I have some skepticism with him, honestly. There's several reasons why. First of all, his career BABIP is under 290. So far this year, his BABIP is 400. Entering today, Wednesday, April 10th. Uh, also, he has a strikeout rate that's slightly elevated compared to his career mark. So, you know, maybe he is taking the more aggressive approach. But uh, that, with the bad advice and an ex- increased strikeout rate, I expect that batting average to fall. Uh, the 361 ISO so far in 11 games this year compared to 130 career ISO. And the 722 slug, you know, those two, the ISO and the slug are definitely due for regression from Colton Wong and You know, I I don't think enough attention is being paid to his 32% soft contact rate and his 11.5% line drive rate, which, you know, doesn't tell me there's much sustainability on the horizon. So if someone is eager to get him for that pedigree that you mentioned, I think you should definitely take advantage of that. But um, I just don't really think, especially with the batting order, he's in the lower half of that batting order. You know, there's going to be a whole lot of reason to rush out to grab him.
1: Yeah, he's he's one of those guys when people jumped on him on the fab, I wasn't all in just because I, I didn't know if it was a couple of good games or two. I, I just can't buy into it there with Colton Wong. Still hitting farther down the order, which mm-hmm. will sound hypocritical with the next guy we talk about. But <laughs> um I, I'm just not I'm not sold on him just yet. I can't do it. Again, similar to Jason Hayward, I could be wrong, but I need to see more from some of these guys so I'm gonna go spend my fab dollars again. If you need a quick fill in. I know some guys did. They picked up Colton Wong just for that reason. I've heard different guys talk about it. You know, they picked up Freddie Galvis recently and Colton Wong because they didn't have choice. Nick Ahmed, uh, guys like that got, got recent pickups because they needed fill-ins. And I get it for that. But uh, long-term, I'd, I'd expect a, a cold spell or two that makes you kind of regret regret things for the, the long duration of it.
2: Yeah, agreed, definitely.
1: Uh, Mikel Franco, again, hypocritical because he bats eighth in the Philadelphia Phillies lineup, but he hits the living daylights out of a baseball He's hitting 294, and it's not really a crazy thought to get 270 last year, which was very surprising to me when I dug into it earlier uh, this season. Everything else, slugging, OPS, WOBA, the works are jumping off the page, already four home runs. Are you believing this is the Mikel Franco we're going to see? Because he just keeps getting it done. In an OBP league, they're walking him so much, he could be Mm -hmm. super valuable.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, helps. He's going to be batting in front of the pitcher, because I'm sure teams would like to give Michael Franco a walk. So. In OVP leagues, I think his value is at an all-time high. Uh, And there's obviously regression in his batting average. That 294 will never stay up that high. His actually is X batting average, expected batting average. That is, is only 263 this year. So while there is regression in his profile, I definitely think the power is obviously something that you can count on. This year, what we're seeing from him that we never saw before is double-digit barrel rates. Uh, Before this year, it was never higher than 7% barrel rate. Uh, 2019 it's above 15 percent so he's really squaring up some balls when he makes some contact and his launch angle is over 21 degrees when before it's never been over 12 degrees so I really think that uh there is you know a lot of power in that bat I I think it's probably a cheap source of 25 30 home runs and playing on that good team I think he'll he'll knock in some runs as well so I I wasn't so high on Franco and I will admit that but Uh, I'm not going to jump and overpay for him. I do think that he's very valuable, but if it's between like a Michael Franco and a Travis Shaw, I'd rather you know float out a buy low on Travis Shaw than try to acquire Michael Franco.
1: Yeah, I like Franco a lot. Like that's a good comparison there with Shaw because Franco batting in the bottom of the order. Um, If he slumps, they have replacements for him. They they can give Kingery a chance. There's other guys on that roster they can give chances to if it doesn't go his way. Which I don't think it will. I think he'll be there all year. I like the upside with him. But yeah, Travis Shaw's off to a really, really slow start. People are going to probably get frustrated with him pretty soon. He's going to be first base, third base eligible, and most likely second base after last year. So multi position eligibility again, slow start. But Travis Shaw, he's by the time the season's over, he's going to have twenty five to thirty home runs, maybe more. He's going to be hitting probably two fifty to two sixty. You know what you're going to get from Travis Shaw, especially in that lineup, especially in that ballpark. So I think that's a great comparison, a guy that kind of go by low on, while people are loving Franco, and, and again. Not trying to, to cut down, Franco. I think it's be very, very good the rest of the way. That's a good call there on Travis Shaw. I think that's a nice buy low candidate for sure. um so this is a fun one. Uh, for those that know Justin Mason, and I know I refer to him a lot here, but he's a good buddy, and I've talked to him quite a bit. He is anti Dansby Swanson, and technically, he's been right. Like as much as people want to rub it in his face every time he does something, <laughs> yeah. he's been correct because his his comments involved last season and last season Dansby Swanson stumped two thirty eight. He did get 14 homers and 10 stolen bases, so I'll give him that. But he's coming out this year hitting great: 324, four jacks, 15 ribbies, no steals, only an 18 and percent K rate. Um, you know, a couple games in Coors helps, but he was doing this before Coors Field. Again, similar trend here. This was a number one draft pick. Like this guy was really, really good out of college. Maybe he's just figuring it out. Who knows? He's only um, excuse me. He's only 25 years old. Is this Dansby Swanson's coming out party, or are we on another, just like last year, he starts out hot and he's going to disappear?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're willing to to take the, the roll the dice on Tim Beckham, I think you have to be willing to take it on Dansby Swanson more. So because he has uh, more, he's younger, that's on his side, he's more recent. You know, I feel like he's higher prospect pedigree as well. He's making the same type of improvements in terms of chase rates, you know, and upping his contact. His swinging strike rate was better than it was last year, so I think the injury really, you know, derailed his season. Because, like you just mentioned, he was off to a really good start, and I was actually slowly buying in. I remember having a couple of Dansby Swanson shares, uh, but this year I feel like he's fully healthy. It looks like at least 32% line drive rate, 43 nearly percent hard contact rate. He doesn't hit the ball very soft so far under under 11% this year. I love the ground ball rate, you know, 32% and. Homer to fly ball rate will obviously regress. So I don't really think we can expect a, a true breakout from him, but I think, you know, 15 to 20 homers is certainly doable. I would like to see him steal more. He hasn't attempted a stolen base yet after attempting 14 last year across 136 games. But I think that'll probably be the last thing he's worried about right now in terms of him making everything, you know, just the way he wanted to from any tweaks or adjustments he made in the offseason. So I think the early returns are good and. You know, the the Babbitt doesn't scream regression. It's below his career mark, and uh, I really like what he's done so far. So he's someone I, I'm at least watching if he's unowned in my league.
1: Yeah, he's one of those
2: guys like Freddie Galvis that was picked up lately as a fill-in guy, but he might still be out there.
1: So you'd rather Dansby Swanson than Tim Beckham? Was that how I heard that correctly?
2: Uh, I, I feel like, honestly, probably yes, because I feel like long-term, meaning the rest of 2019, rest of the season, the Atlanta Braves have a better lineup. So I feel like in terms of that, maintaining that level of run production, the Mariners, you know, they could fold, I feel like, at any minute. So uh, if I have to choose between one of the two, maybe, you know, I know they're going to both be added at the same time. I would probably lean towards Dansby as much as I love Tim Beckham. Okay,
1: I can dig that. That's a a very tight race there, so can't fault you either direction. Uh, One last hitter to talk about, Kevin Pillar of the San Francisco Giants. Has been just destroying the baseball since coming to the Bay. Um, he's homered a couple times already. Homered earlier today on Wednesday, and he's driving. And he had back-to-back four RBI games uh, the last two days against the Padres, so he's having a good time there in AT&T Park, where most people can't hit the baseball. What's your thoughts on Kevin P.R.? He's still relatively young. He's only, well, he's thirty, but um, he's still under arbitration. So somehow that just he got screwed on the system there. But um, thirty years old, he's going to be playing every day in the outfield. He led off today against a lefty. What's your thoughts on Pilar Is likely on the waiver wires?
2: Yeah, likely. And I feel like he's a zero risk option. So, you know, I feel like if he's, if he is leading off, like he has the last two games, that's, you know, something to take note of. And, you know, he's got a strong 20% line drive rate, anything below 20%, I kind of try to stay away from a 38% ground ball rate, Uh, anything below 40, I try to stay away from. And for his career, it's below 42%. So I'm willing to, you know, bend a little bit there, but there's, you know, it's obviously not ideal playing there in San Francisco, that home venue. So that will suppress some power, but I feel like you, you mentioned a few guys here on this episode, guys, so you could maybe just stop gap options. I feel like Polar, as long as he's leading off, uh, he's stolen a couple bags. I know uh, in the last week or so he's gotten those three homers or two homers in the last three games. So uh, that's definitely, I'm willing to ride that while it's hot if I really need an outfielder in a deeper league.
1: Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Um, let's talk some pitching here. Uh, we've got a few guys to talk about here. Luis Castillo was everyone's darling coming to the draft season last year. Kind of let us down. Wasn't as popular this year. People were kind of on board, kind of not. It was hit and miss. He's been great to start out the year or something. We didn't see a ton of last year. Uh, he's had three starts, from 19 and two-thirds. He's got an 11.45 K per nine. ERA of .92, the FIP and the XFIP are crazy different. XFIP's 2.94, which you'd still take in a heartbeat. Um, my biggest caveat before I let you give your take on this is all three starts were at home where he's always pitched well. He's always struggled on the road, pitched great at home. What's your thoughts on Luis Castillo right now? Is this a guy that you're buying in and things are fixed, or are you trying to sell him right now?
2: Uh, I think selling him – you know, that's probably like a not a bad option, honestly. I, I wouldn't sell him just to sell high because I feel like he's gonna tank or, you know, take a nosedive or anything like that. But I think it's interesting to note that he hasn't given up a single barrel. So, you know, I feel like he's pitching at an all time best level. His expected stats, you know, are basically top two percent of the league, top one percent, basically within the top five percent of the league and batting average slug, Woba, expected Woba, or I should say all those expected stats. And the exit velocity is the lowest it's been since he's been in the majors. So, you know, there's a lot to like there. And I feel like his second half last year, like you mentioned, you know, was a lot to of momentum to, to build upon. And he's carrying that over. And I feel like similar to Jose Barrios, we're seeing them really solidify themselves as maybe an SP2 or SP1 upside
1: yeah, I'm kind of mad because I was on the Luis Castillo bandwagon last year. I kind of got worried from what I saw this year. And he's, eating me. he's making me crow for now. But, you know, I'm going to say similar to what we just saw with Hermann Marquez last night when he got back to Coors. Let's see Luis go on the road for a couple of starts and see how that pans out. Because it is crazy that he pitches so well at home in that ballpark. But it's also one of those things. He's a kid, so he's got the comfort of his home. And that goes a long, long ways in probably making him feel good when he takes the mound there at uh, Great American Small Park. So it'll be interesting to see here, but, you know, he's got a, he's got a 50% or better ground ball rate every start. The bad hips low, like you said, he's not giving up barrels. He's missing bats. He's striking guys out. It's very, very intriguing. Uh, Nick Pollock from Pitcher's List and, and Alex Fast, depends on who got who has the call that day. Um, they, they have some great gifts and videos when Luis Castillo's on the hill. So it is some really, really interesting stuff there. Um, let's go to the maker of shoes, Matt Shoemaker. He was <laughs> once a kind of reliable – you know, spot starter or fourth or fifth starter on a, a fantasy team, he kind of had some hiccups, got hurt, wasn't quite the guy we once remembered. But so far this year at Toronto, he's been great. In three starts, three Ws already, nineteen and two thirds innings pitched, ERA a point nine two, xFIP of three point five six. Uh, a lot to possibly like there. Some, some to keep you a little alert, but a lot to like there. Is this for real for Matt Shoemaker, or are you just kind of like, I'll write it out while I can, or I'll deal with him?
2: Honestly, even if it is, you know, I'm not really willing to make the ad unless I make the ad knowing that I'm going to flip him this year because there's a couple of reasons for that. And the first reason is last season he only pitched 35 innings. And the year before that, in 2017, he barely pitched over 80 innings. So anyone who's relying on him to give you 120, 130, 140 innings, I think that's, you know, a fallacy. And on top of that, he's pitching in the AL East, you know, which is really going to hurt him. I think a lot of his numbers scream regression and pitching the A at least that will definitely catch up to him. So we've probably seen the best string of starts in his 2019 ledger, honestly, that I believe. So he's someone I'm looking to sell high and someone I'm not really willing to spend that much fab on. Uh, I'm really just adding him if I know I'm going to sell high and maybe he has one more good start. But uh, personally, I'm not counting on him for any term of rest of season value or dependability, for that matter.
1: Yeah, he's he's a streamer guy for me. He's not a full time roll out there every time pitching in the East is going to be tough at times. Pitching in that ballpark, Rogers Center is a bandbox, mm-hmm. so it, it, he's going to put some good starts together out there. But overall, he will be quite frustrating at times. Let's talk about his teammate Marcus Stroman. 0 and 2 on the year, but he's put together three really good starts from a guy that you know once was. People thought a perennial all-star maybe at one point in time is going to be a, a contender for some some pitching awards. He's kind of struggled of late, but he's, he's like I said, three starts, 2.41 ERA, 3.39 XFIP. Um, he hasn't given up a long ball all season, 18 Ks and 18 and two-thirds innings. So a lot to like there with Stroman. The ground ball rate 50% or better in every start. Um, what's your thoughts on Marcus Stroman? Are we starting to see the return of what once was an ace of a staff?
2: I actually think we're seeing a new Marcus Stroman because up until this year, we've always seen a a fastball rate 85.5% or better, or I should say higher. This year, we're only seeing him throw his fastball 37.4% of the time. So in addition to that change in his pitch mix, he's thrown his curveball a ton more, uh, career mark 11.4% curveball usage. This year, it's up to 36%, so nearly three times what he has used it in his career. He's changing that pitch mix. Whenever someone is breaking out, you know, if it's, you know, an an established player and I'm looking at determining whether they're, you know, a breakout or Renaissance, if you will, is sustainable. I kind of like favor those, those pitch types and mixes and how the pitcher changes what they're doing, because if they're doing the same thing, uh, but their numbers are better than they were the previous year, then I, I can't really expect that to maintain. So I do like the changes he's made. He's got above a 50% ground ball rate. It's at 53%. The fly ball rate, only 26.5%. And it's always been very low for his career. So, you know, I feel like the home run rate, like you said, hasn't given up home run yet. That's extremely valuable. Um, everywhere, I feel like sub 0.8 homer per nine for his career. The walk rate matches his career make mark almost identically. And we're seeing an uptick in K per nine. So along with the ERA peripherals that support his two, four, one ERA. I really like a lot of what he's doing and um, there's not a whole lot of positive, uh, I should say, but there's not a whole lot of regression in his profile.
1: Stroman or Castillo? Uh,
2: Stroman that is.
1: No, would you rather have Stroman or Castillo?
2: Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I would probably take uh, Stroman still because, you know, like you mentioned, there was time when we were talking about him potentially being a Cy Young and he had some really good seasons, I remember, in 2015. It was small, limited, sub-2 ERA, though, and 2017, 309 ERA. So I feel like in addition to being an, an innings eater, he's a competitor. He's someone you you want on your team in real life. So he's someone, I think, especially with injuries, pitchers getting injured and you know taking rest days and stuff like that, he's, he wants to be out there. He'll give you the innings. And I like the improvements, but there is a lot of volatility pitching in the AL East, obviously.
1: No doubt about it. Let's uh, talk about a kind of volatile pitcher. Fell a ton of drafts compared to what we're used to with Madison Bumgarner. But he had a three three two ERA through three starts, um, 16 Ks and 19 innings pitched. So the Ks haven't completely disappeared. But he's not nearly the dominant guy he once was. His last start, he pitched really, really well and then gave it up in the seventh inning, actually, uh, sixth and seventh innings. The Dodgers starts, some people will point to it being skewed because he had his own air. They give the a grand slam. So he got no earned runs. So things could be a lot worse for Mad Bum. Are you kind of are you on the bandwagon that Mad Bum's pretty much not that guy anymore?
2: Not even really worth a uh, a lockdown week to week start? Uh I was actually fading him this year coming into the twenty nineteen season. So uh I'm really not a big fan of his and his exit velocity is the worst it's been in his entire career. What is it for one, two, three, four, five seasons now? So you know obviously that doesn't help and there's a nearly 18 degree launch angle for career against mad bum it's been about 11 percent. so i'm worried that there's going to be a lot of home runs hit off him pitching in the NOS is not going to be conducive for him so he's someone i'm definitely selling high especially with the fast start he's gotten off to
1: yeah he's gotten off the decent start to get, probably try to get something for him Both with the real life giants we will try to get something for him and send him on his way but um for now, I think you just write it out and hope you can deal them uh, and, and maybe be careful on certain outings, especially, say, Coors Field.
2: Um, would well, you rather have Cahill him or of? Stroman?
1: Uh, probably Stroman.
2: Stroman over Mad Bum? Yeah, yeah. I'd agree. Yeah, yeah, i probably have Luis Castillo over Mad
1: Bum as well. Exactly. I was just thinking uh, the same thing. Yeah. I, I like I like Mad Bum, don't get me wrong, but um, the dominant Mad Bum is not there anymore. So not that fun anymore. Let's talk Trevor Cahill, uh, six innings in all three starts. He's got a 3-5 ERA, a four four five 4 5 XFIP, 16 Ks, and 18 innings pitched. Looked really, really good in his last two starts. He kind of got beat up at Oakland, but at Seattle against Milwaukee. Pitched really, really well. What do you do with a guy like Trevor Cahill? Is he just a spot starter for you? Is he a, a guy that you're willing to put in pretty much week in and week out?
2: I actually really like Cahill. He's somebody who, in recent years, has – struggled with the first time through the order when he starts but when he gets through that first time through the order he actually tends to cruise along pretty well so i feel like maybe he's someone who would benefit perfectly from an opener but uh you know obviously he's not opening or f- receiving that benefit so as long as he can get out of that first time through the order i think he's someone very safe and playing for the angels i feel like that gives him a very really good floor uh in terms of run production so when or quality start upside, I feel like is there. Um, He's somebody I think is being very undervalued and, you know, he has good ground ball rates with good strikeout rates, which is I feel like a very hard combination for pitchers to maintain. So I think he's very uh, underrated and very sneaky. And if he's out there, which I believe he's out there in more than 80, 90% of leagues, uh, he's at worst a streamer, but somebody I think he could be at the back end of your rotation.
1: And no doubt about that. I've always been a big Cahill guy. He, he's probably due for a, a DL stint or two throughout an yeah. IL stint nowadays. I, I just can't change this. IL just doesn't roll off the tongue like it used to. Um, th- th- that's coming. But overall, yeah, very, very solid guy in the rotation. I have no problem getting some Cahill in my uh, my lineups. Let's go to Philadelphia. This is an interesting one. There's some hype training on Zach Eflin coming into the season. Two really solid starts so far a 0.75 ERA, a 2.83 XFIP. Uh, 14 strikeouts and 12 innings pitched at home against Minnesota and at the nationals, five shutout innings at the Nats uh, and is only running it up in seven innings against Minnesota with a solo home run. So he's looked really, really good in those two outings. What are you looking at with a guy like Zach, Zach Eflin? Is this his coming out party or are you kind of hesitant?
2: Uh, I totally believe it's his coming out party. I'm not hesitant at all because the, the biggest change from Eflin this year uh, compared to years past is his pitch mix Uh, What we're seeing from him specifically is he's kind of relying a lot less on the fastball and significantly increasing his slider usage. So much, in fact, that it actually reminds me a little bit of Patrick Corbin because his slider usage today is 39% about, uh, whereas before it was only 25%. Um, You know, anything 40% or closer is about Corbin's level and with his fastball, he relied on it 58% of the time or more, mostly over 60% like his career mark indicates. But this year, only 46 miles an hour. So I definitely love that change we're seeing and it's supporting a lot of his career best you know, swinging strike rates. Uh, he has career best contact rates uh, outside or chase rates uh, above 30%. You know, that's kind of the mark I look for for pitchers. If I have a starting pitcher I don't know about, if he's over 30% outside swing rate, Uh, that's something I really like under 30%. I kind of am more scrupulous in looking at his profile, but, you know, I really do like a lot of Eflin. He's posting so far, tiny sample size, obviously, you know, career best metrics. So he's someone I'm trying to buy low if someone's trying to sell high on him.
1: Yeah, no, I like that quite a bit. I took him late in a lot of deeper drafts. I believe I have him in the VARF league, 14 team league out of the Bay area. And, uh, yeah, I got no problems with Eflin at all. Kind of a nice mix there. Uh, do you like Eflin or Luis Castillo?
2: I'd have to go with Castillo more because there's a lot of regression in Eflin's profile. Like he has a hundred percent left on base rate for his career under 69%. So there's some regression, but his ERA peripherals look great for Eflin that is, you know, sub three. So, you know, he, they're both very good, but I feel like with Castillo, uh, he's proven. So I know that the regression, you know, like we mentioned, there's probably not much at all. Cause I feel like Castillo's, Prime to set some career highs across the board but with Eflin there's still the unknown factor and last year he only pitched 148 innings so I mean that's that's a lot of innings but only 120 in the big league so we'll see how the the Phillies want to monitor his workload
1: what about Eflin or his teammate Nick Pavetta uh
2: honestly at this point I would take Eflin because Pavetta yeah, I feel like we've seen so much from him and t- hearing so much about uh you know being unlucky and all this and that, but you know, the results just haven't improved. And I feel like there's almost a point where he's stagnated or plateaued as a player. And, you know, if he's never going to be able to live up to those peripherals, then I would rather pivot to Eflin who's more widely available and less of an investment. Yeah.
1: I'm with you there. All right. Let's move on to Matt Boyd, the Boyd boys as the boys of the pitcher list like to call him. This guy has been awesome. Awesome, awesome. Today was his third start. He dealt yet again against the Cleveland Indians. Not the most, you know, taxful thing to do these days, but still very impressive. More Price was his last start at the Yankees, six and a third. Five hits, one earned, 13 strikeouts. 13. He is just absolutely ridiculous. Over 10Ks, I think, in every start. I think he had seven or eight today, maybe. I got to double-check that. But he's been filthy. What's your thought on Matt Boyd? I know the pitch mix changed, but he is looking great.
2: Yeah, actually we we kinda highlighted him on the Fantasy Gospel website last year. He's someone who caught our eye because he was using his slider, which last year was also the best pitch in his arsenal. So he was increasing his slider usage. That was something that caught our eye. This year he's taking that to a whole nother level. Uh by that I mean there was something I heard where last year his his slider had a two oh five degree angle or something like that and this year it's up to 300 degrees so there's just the, the spin angle or spin degrees whatever it was he's just basically taken his best pitch and made it better that's basically what i'm trying to say here so we love matt boyd at the fantasy gospel you know he's definitely on the come up anybody who's able to get him free or cheap i definitely think that they're going to be reaping the rewards he's someone to buy into long term and i just wish he was pitching on a better team because you know i feel like he could get a lot more wins and and uh, run support stuff like that
1: yeah win equity is not one thing you're going to get with the Detroit Tigers this year just how it goes but um, he's outstanding uh, he was a late round target of mine in a lot of places big big fan of what we've seen to start the year here and uh, really hoping that it, it continues on um, let's go to Trevor Williams a guy that quietly had a very good 2017 he's kicked it off nicely so far Had a little bit of a, a rough start against Cincinnati give three earned in six innings but His start before that at Cincinnati, six shutout innings. So two starts against since he's given up three earned and 12 innings, two two five ERA. What are we thinking about Trevor Williams uh, going forward here? Is this kind of a spot start guy or does he have an everyday spot or every week spot in your rotation?
2: Uh, What's funny is when I was doing my research for today, you know, looking at the outline, I was not very excited by Trevor Williams. I almost felt like he was a sell high. But upon doing some more research, I really feel like there is a lot of value here. And I feel like there might be a chance, you know, he might be this year's smaller version of Mike Clevenger in terms of a breakout. And uh, I wish, you know, just like Boyd, I wish that he played on a better team so he can get more win upside. Uh, But I really do like uh, what you get out of him. But if I can circle back to Matt Boyd real quick, I just want to clarify what I was saying. Uh, last year, his slider had a spin axis between one hundred eighty-five to two hundred fifty-five degrees. This year, it's three hundred six degrees. So, wow. I want to make sure. I, I want to make sure. Yeah, I clarified that, so I wasn't just rambling on and you know wasting all your guys' time here. But significantly Im- improved that slider. I think he took it to another level. So he's someone I'm really buying, almost like a Corbin breakout this year. Uh, but back to Trevor Williams. Yeah, I just I look at his Statcast numbers, and I'm really impressed. Um, I think that there's a lot of sustainability and, you know, I apologize for rambling on here. I'm just waiting for his page to load, but I definitely knew that I was very impressed by what I was looking at last night. No, no worries at all. Would you look at a guy
1: like Trevor Williams? Would you rather have Trevor Williams or Zach Eflin?
2: Uh, because Trevor Williams doesn't have the strikeout upside, I would take Eflin over him, but, uh, with Williams, he has a lot of control and this year he's demonstrating that control at career best rates, 0.75 walks per nine. Um, you know, his left on base rate is about identical to his career mark. So, you know, that 225 ERA, also his ERA peripherals are supporting that. You know, they're all sub four, uh, 2.91 fibs. So there's definitely regression with Trevor Williams, but he doesn't have the strikeout upside Eflin does to really be elite. But I think with Trevor Williams, there's probably a lot more floor than Eflin has, at least so far early early on this year.
1: Yeah, I like that. That's the one thing with Trevor Williams. Not a big strikeout guy, but uh, A, he pitches in a great home ballpark that contact doesn't kill him, and uh, just overall very efficient and uh, and a good good pitcher there. Trevor Williams, maybe that uh, strikeout
2: rate will come as the pitch mix maybe changes some more, develops another big strikeout-type pitch. Yeah, he's got um, a crazy 40% outside swing rate, chase rate, you know, above you – know, it's 10% above his career mark, so whatever he's go. doing is really looking good, so – Hey, he's, like fool- he's fooling somebody, so that's good. Right. <laughs> um, last guy I got on the agenda
1: here is Trent Thornton, uh, former Astros farmhand, dealt over in the, the Giles deal with Osuna. And he's already made two starts for the Jays, five innings or more in both starts, only giving him two earned on the season, seven or more K's in both starts. I was at home against Detroit and then at the Cleveland Indians. So, not world beaters by any means, but still, he got the job done. A 1.69 ERA, 2.38 FIP. The peripherals. Do believe that what he did was pretty legit but a lot of fly balls low ground ball rate what's your thoughts on this Trent Thornton character as he's uh he was picked up in a lot of leagues but might still be out there in others uh especially like in 12 teams and below he's probably still out there is this a streamer do you buy into this what's your thoughts on Trent
2: Thornton yeah I remember hearing on your podcast the last you know I think it was Heath Cummings was on there and you guys were talking about him and it was kind of hard to put a figure on what you know what direction he's headed but if he wasn't pitching in the AL East i definitely think i would be pursuing him really aggressively but what i really like about him and his his abilities is if if anybody out there cares about spin rate you know that's something that is really you know harped on especially in the Astros organization his curveball spin rate this year is over 3000 uh revolutions per minute so that's wow. to me that's really an elite good. mark yeah exactly anything in the 3000s is ridiculous and that's his second most used pitch Using it about a quarter of the time, according to his baseball savant page, so he's getting a sixty-one and a half percent whiff rate on that curveball. Uh, you know, almost a nineteen percent whiff rate in that four-seamer. So, I feel like there is a lot of talent here, even though the context isn't probably what we would like in terms of maybe like projecting his floor. But I, I can't help but feel that there's a lot of of ceiling here for this kid and. Uh, he's someone that if I you know, don't know the back end of my rotation, who I want, I'm willing to take a flyer on him if maybe, say, an Eflin's already been added. Uh, he's he's probably more widely owned. If Trevor Williams isn't there, I would definitely pivot to Trent Thornton. Um, I would probably take the upside of Thornton over Cahill. Perfect. That was my next uh, question just, for you. I like that. Yeah, in terms of rest of season, you know, <laughs> viability, you, you mentioned that uh, durability concern with Cahill and if he can't get out of the you know, the first time through the order, I feel like, you know, he's doomed for three innings, five run run outing. So there's definitely a lot of appeal to Trent Thornton that I feel like if he's still out there for free, you should go ahead and make a speculative ad. And that's
1: the thing with talking about guys like Thornton and some of these other guys is they're on your waiver wires. Go get them now before they continue the hot run or they have a two-star. We get them cheap now, if you, if you can stash them, and then you go for the, the gusto later. But, uh, If you just have a guy wasting
2: away on your waiver wire, why don't you try to take a chance on the upside while it's cheap? So I I like that quite a bit. Yeah, Uh, 15 strikeouts to two walks in 10 and two-thirds innings pitch. So I love the control. And, uh, you know, in the minor leagues, he's demonstrated really strong control and about a one homer per nine rate. So I feel like, you know, there's a little bit of a floor, but the context doesn't really help him out. So it could could go either way. No doubt about it. I like that quite
1: a bit. Uh, before we wrap this up, are there any other uh, players that are kind of off to hot starts or maybe even cold starts that you're interested in?
2: Uh, I just, I know that, uh, I know my guys at the Fantasy Gospel wouldn't feel it's a real podcast without talking Pete Alonso. So, Oh, Big Pete. I've been talking about him for weeks now and months probably at this point. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts. Maybe you can, uh, you know, would you say you're buying or selling or? Oh, I'm all in. I'm I, I'm buying some Pete Alonso. Um,
1: I, I I wanted him up last year uh, when they held him back. The uh, the the fall league let people that didn't really know about Pete Alonso finally know who Pete Alonso was. He is just a pure hitter with insane power. I love that he wears his high socks. When I had James Anderson on the podcast earlier this offseason, I compared him to a right-handed Jim Tomy. He liked it. Uh, yeah, a oh, of, yeah. A couple other guys are starting to see it when I mentioned it to them. It's he is that guy. He's a pure hitter big bulky guy that kind of looks like he's stumbling around the field like Tommy did. But when it comes to getting in that batter's box, he strikes fear into that opposing pitcher. And I like Pete Alonso a lot. Uh, he's got really good plate discipline for a kid his age. And uh, I think the sky's the limit. The, them batting him second, I love because he's going to get to see a lot of good pitches to hit. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of him. I'm angry. I don't have any shares of him this year. I'm assuming if you liked him so much, you do. Yes. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a big
2: fan of PD Alonso. And maybe I could just run down some guys here on the top fifty in Yahoo standard leagues, you know, like that you might prefer to Alonso, or if you prefer Alonso to them. Okay. Uh let's start with uh some hot starters. Uh how about Domingo Santana? Oh man,
1: you are pulling it right out the top here. Um right? I'm gonna go with Domingo Santana for uh, the preface being in most leagues you're going to need four to five outfielders. So it drops off eventually where first base, corner infield, you can kind of make it work. I'm going to say Domingo Santana and his, he's going to get you 10 to 15 stolen bases. So I'll go there, but that is tough right out the gate.
2: Yeah. The only reason I don't uh, feel Santana will produce the double digit stolen bases. I didn't mention this before, but 140 games last year between uh, the major league level and triple a, only three stolen base total. So, that's why I'm personally down on him, but I would personally go with, if someone's offering me Domingo Santana, my Domingo Santana for their Peter Alonzo, I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger on that one. Nice. I like it. Also, I like it. Take your also, uh, maybe here are uh, two more guys, if you don't mind, real quick. Okay. Just yesterday, no I guess. No uh, how about uh, Edwin Encarnacion? Give me Peter Alonzo all day. Right on. And the last one I will give you is teammate Michael Conforto. I love
1: Conforto. I think he's in for a 30 plus home run season. Um, yeah. Who, they're both uh,
2: almost neck and neck, right?
1: Yeah, they're real close. I'd probably stick with Conforto because the only concern I have, and I'm probably just trying to find any little thing that's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. I feel like if Alonso has a slump, they're not going to be hesitant to send him down or arrest him for a while, where Conforto's playing every day. Like there's that's nothing fair. stopping Conforto. That'd be the only separate because I really do think Alonso's a beast. He's. The fact that he started the season up there, he's going to have a great shot at rookie of the year behind my Victor Robles, of course, but there's a, there's a lot to, to like with Pete Alonzo. I go Conforto, but that's really, really close.
2: I want to throw you one more curve if you don't mind. Nope, no the last one, I promise. Austin no Meadows or Peter Alonzo. Give me Pete Alonzo. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's wow. tough. Yeah.
1: Very. Meadows is on
2: fire, but wow. I'll go Pete Alonzo. I like his overall pedigree better than, than Meadows. Yeah, Meadows just homered today, so it's back to back games. And honestly, I would probably go with Meadows, but I just—that's not a knock on Pete Alonso at all. No, it's tight, and that's the good thing about—that's the thing I love
1: about baseball these days and recent years, but especially like last year and this year, we're seeing so much more youth up there right now. It's just absolutely awesome, and they're and they're flourishing. Totally. And, and that, that's also a problem with why these vets can't get paid because they don't need to get paid
2: when you have these young kids coming up. But that's a whole other podcast for a whole nother day. Um, yeah but the infusion of young talent's been awesome for fantasy baseball reasons you know oh yeah Still. it's been great it
1: makes it so much fun out and that they're the bat flipping the celebrating they're having fun playing baseball and that is good stuff but all right mike michael that will wrap us up for the night before we get out of here again let us let everybody know where they can find you and what you guys got, are working on over there at fantasy gospel
2: Yeah, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Michael, or I'm sorry, M-Y-A-C-H-1 underscore 91. That's at M-Y-A-C-H-1 underscore 91. You can also reach out to the three of us at the Fantasy Gospel Twitter account. We are at Fantasy underscore Gospel. Uh, We also have a website dedicated to Fantasy Baseball, and uh, we have ranks, articles, uh, other content on there. We also have the podcast on there if you want to download it from there if you don't have, say, an iPhone. So we're not on Google Play, for example. So you can always listen to us on our website. That is www.thefantasygospel.com. So very simple. Uh, go ahead and add us. Uh, we are very interactive on Twitter. So any lineup advice or ad drops, trade advice, anything, we we definitely want to help you and interact as much as possible. And I uh, just want to thank you, Brian, so much for having me here because uh, I feel like I've been listening to you in a podcast like I normally do when you're asking me these questions. So it's kind of a surreal feeling for me. It's really awesome. And, you know, like I said, off air with you, I'm I'm really enjoying myself and thank you so much.
1: No, thanks for joining me, man. Uh, it's been awesome. Getting to talk to you, getting to know you super sharp mind that more and more people need to go follow and listen to. So uh, I'm glad you're on the podcast
2: and we will definitely, definitely do this again sometime. So thanks for joining me tonight. Yeah. Hopefully we can have you on the fantasy gospel as a guest and we can return the favor. Anytime, man. Anytime it works out in my schedule,
1: I am always down to podcast with anybody, anytime. So
2: you just let me know and I will hop on with
1: you guys. But all right, everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 161 with Michael Yahera from the Fantasy Gospel. Go check him out there. Go check him out on Twitter. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys later.